What a special opportunity and event we are able to participate in this weekend here at ACAC. We've crafted this special online service because we have moved outside and moved into the park next to ACAC as we partner with the Deutschtown Music Festival this weekend. But it also provides us another special opportunity and that is to focus solely on you, our online congregation and our online campus. And let me first say, I recognize that for many of you, watching this online service is really a front door. It's an opportunity for you to check us out from a distance. And if you have never visited an ACAC service in person, I want to personally invite you to do so. I hope you would prayerfully consider joining us on Saturday night at six o'clock or one of our three services on Sunday at 8.30 a.m., 10 a.m., and 11.30 a.m. I'd love to meet you face to face. And one of the things I want to make sure you're aware of is why ACAC exists, what our mission is, what we hold near and dear to our heart, and it's this. Our mission at Allegheny Center Alliance Church is following Jesus in diverse community. And we do that in ways in which we call our DNA. And our DNA is made up of five markers, which first being we're spirit-led. The second, we pursue God's presence and proclaim His truth. The third one being that we love people where they are. The fourth marker of our DNA is we are a diverse community of faith. And fifth, we strive to become more like Jesus. And when you put all of that together, our vision here at ACAC is this that God has appointed us to be an ethnically, socioeconomically, generationally, and even politically diverse congregation drawn from the greater Pittsburgh region and based here in Pittsburgh's north side. We're a diverse people created in the image of God, redeemed by His Son Jesus, adopted into a new family called His church and whom one day will be glorified by our Father in heaven. We are united by His Spirit, devoted to holy living and being one so that the world will know that Jesus is the Savior of the world. Now that's who we are, this local congregation, but we also understand that we are just one very, very, very small part of God's big kingdom, capital C Church. And with that, we recognize that as the church of Jesus Christ, the church of Jesus is a diverse church and we're all different. Those of you that are watching right now, you have different experiences, you have different backgrounds, different perspectives. You come from different socioeconomic backgrounds. You have a different education. Some of you are Republican, some of you are Democrat, and some of you fall in the middle. We're politically diverse. There are young and old, we are generationally diverse, and we are certainly ethnically diverse, and there's different cultures that are a part of God's kingdom. And as the church, what we have in common, what unites us is this, Jesus. What unites us is faith in Jesus Christ. We gather right now here, even in this online service, to worship and to serve Jesus. He, Jesus, is what makes it possible for us to be one amidst a divided and polarized world. However, think of this. If it is Jesus who unites us, and if he's the reason for our gathering today, then we had better understand him. 
we had better understand and know his expectations. You see, most of us, when talking about Jesus, we understand and we recognize the amazing and the wonderful things Jesus did and spoke. He showed incredible love and compassion for those that society rejected. Jesus healed the sick, he raised the dead, he cast out demons. Everywhere Jesus went, he brought physical, emotional, and spiritual to relief to everyone he encountered. Jesus said some incredibly powerful things. He spoke about caring for the poor, caring for the orphans, caring for the widows. He spoke and taught about loving enemies. He talked about protecting those who are marginalized and can't defend themselves. You see, all of this is true about Jesus. And we had better pay attention to his words and we ought to live those words out. Yet, if we really pay attention and we read all of what he said, Jesus also taught and he spoke some really difficult things, very challenging and hard to understand things. Things like I talked about last weekend when Jesus said, don't think that I came to bring peace. I did not come to bring peace, but I came to bring a sword. Or what we're gonna talk about next weekend here at ACAC when Jesus said, it's easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than it is for a rich person to go to heaven. What? And then we're also gonna talk about, and we heard Jesus criticize a man who wanted to follow him for first wanting to go and bury his father. So you see, right now, for the next few moments, we're gonna look at another statement that Jesus said that's not only hard for you and I to maybe understand and comprehend right now, but it was also extremely shocking and hard to grasp for the people that he said it to some 2,000 years ago. So here it is, Jesus' words in John chapter 6, verses 53 through 56. Jesus said, I tell you the truth, unless you eat the flesh of the Son of Man and drink his blood, you cannot have eternal life within you. But anyone who eats my flesh and drinks my blood has eternal life and I will raise that person on the last day. For my flesh is true food, and my blood is true drink. Anyone who eats my flesh and drinks my blood remains in me, and I am him." He said, what? Now before you take off running, before you close this live stream, I want you to know this, Jesus is not talking about vampire stuff here. He's not talking about the Twilight movie. Jesus isn't referring to a zombie apocalypse or an episode of The Walking Dead. He's not talking about cannibalism. Although the people at that time who were listening to him thought he could be. Here is what Jesus meant, and here is the whole point of this sermon. Jesus wants us to pursue what matters most, his presence and not his provision. Let me give you the story of what was happening when Jesus said those shocking words. You see, John chapter six begins with a really famous story, a story you probably are familiar with, and if you grew up going to Sunday school, I know you heard it, because it's the story of Jesus feeding the 5,000. It's one of only two stories that are included in all four gospels of the New Testament. And here it is, remember, there were huge crowds following Jesus and they were hungry, which was a common problem back in Jesus's day. Food was a real issue. 
And Jesus, seeing all of these people sarcastically, looks to Thomas the disciple and he says, all right, where can we buy food to feed all of these people? Jesus, knowing that there was no way they had enough money and there was not a store that they could go to and buy enough food to feed all the people. You see, the Bible says that there were 5,000 men alone which means if you counted the women and children, it's highly possible and likely there were up to 15,000 people there on that hillside that day. So what do they do? Well, one of the disciples say, Jesus, we don't have enough food, but we found this little boy. He's got a lunch, his mom packed it for him, and he's got five loaves and two fishes. And Jesus says, that'll do. And of course, what does Jesus do? He takes this little boy's lunch and he prays over the five loaves, he prays over the two fishes, and miraculously, not only was everybody fed, the Bible says they got to their fill, like they got to go back for seconds. And on top of that, there were leftovers. Now you can imagine, with thousands and thousands of people having their belly full, they really wanted to follow Jesus. I mean, Jesus has followers at this point. So here's what happens next. The next day, the Bible says that the crowds are searching for Jesus again, and they can't find him, but they finally do. And when they find Jesus, they ask him, Jesus, where have you been? And Jesus replies with these powerful words. He said, I tell you the truth. You want to be with me because I feed you, not because you understand the miraculous signs. And then he challenges him. He says, don't be so concerned about perishable things like food. Spend your energy seeking eternal things, eternal life that me, the Son of Man, can give you. Now, this crowd, now his followers, they begin asking and saying to Jesus, hey, we're with you. We want to do God's work too. So what should we do? And then Jesus makes a profound statement, both for them at that time and for you and I right now. Jesus responds by saying, and it really reveals his heart, he says, this is what the Father wants for you. The only work God wants from you is believe in me. Jesus says, believe. Just believe in who I am. And immediately, just as Jesus reveals his heart, the heart of the crowd is revealed because they respond by telling Jesus, if you want us to believe, show us a sign. They literally asked Jesus, what can you do for us? You see, they were more concerned about what Jesus could do for them than really understanding and knowing who Jesus was. They were more interested in what Jesus could give them than understanding the reason why he came. You see, Jesus turned out to be really different, very different than they expected. Now Jesus goes on and he continues to try to help them understand. And all of a sudden he begins to repeat and introduce a phrase by referring to himself as the bread of life. You see, he's trying to help them move their focus from things that are earthly and temporary to things that are heavenly and eternal. Jesus is saying, guys, it's not about the bread. Jesus says, I am the bread. Now I've had the incredible privilege of traveling to some pretty amazing places across our planet. One of the places I have been to is Israel. And in Israel, a very popular and delicious tasting bread is called challah. 
it's braided and it's absolutely wonderful. Earlier this year in flying to Africa, I flew through the Paris airport and when I was there, I had to get a croissant. I mean, you know what I'm talking about. The warm, flaky, buttery, delicious croissants. Even Italian bread. I mean, there's nothing better than fresh baked Italian bread with butter and sauce. It's amazing. Just last weekend, we were over at some friends of ours house and they catered Indian food. And Indian food includes naan bread, which is like a tortilla type of uh, bread. Even when I traveled to Kenya, Kenya is there. Their version of a tortilla is a chapate. And you've heard me mention a tortilla a couple times. Well, I'm Mexican and I remember growing up and still to this day, my mom's homemade Mexican food with fresh homemade flour tortillas. Mom, can you send me some right now? I mean, it's amazing. So what's the deal with bread? Well, bread, no matter what culture, no matter where you go all over the world, bread is life-sustaining food. And this is the point Jesus is making. He's saying, crowd, you're, my followers, you're looking for earthly, life-sustaining food like bread. And Jesus is saying, I am the life, I am the eternal life sustaining food that you need. See, Jesus wants them to pursue what matters most, his presence and not his provision. And so finally, after this, Jesus once again says these perplexing words, I tell you the truth, unless you eat the flesh of the Son of Man and drink his blood, you cannot have eternal life within you. But anyone who eats my flesh and drinks my blood has eternal life, and I will raise that person on the last day. For my flesh, Jesus said, that's true food. My blood is true drink. Anyone who eats my flesh and drinks my blood remains in me and I in him. And what happens? The crowds, these new followers begin saying, some of the things you and I say when we read difficult and challenging words from Jesus. You see it in verse 60. Many of his followers, many of his disciples said, this is really hard to understand. How can anyone accept it? Have you ever had that happen to you where you read something in scripture and you go, this is really hard to understand. How can anybody believe it? How can anybody accept it? That's what happened to the crowds that day when Jesus said those tough words. And all of a sudden, these thousands and thousands of people who saw this miracle and were really excited and wanted to follow Jesus, all of a sudden, they begin to leave one by one. Why does Jesus do this? Why does it happen? He's got all of the momentum going for him. There's energy, there's excitement. Jesus is blowing up, he's going viral. Why does Jesus say things that sometimes just rub people the wrong way? Here's why. He does it because while Jesus is loving, while Jesus is compassionate and caring, Jesus is also relentless. He is constantly pursuing your heart. He is constantly pursuing our motives. He is relentless about being your top priority. And anything and everything that stands in the way of him being number one in your life is fair game. Jesus is looking for supreme allegiance in all of our affection. He'll challenge and test everything that we hold most near and dear to our heart. 
You see, Jesus is not looking to be one of many things in our life. He is looking to be the only thing. See, if we're really honest with each other, so often we want Jesus on our own terms. Much like the crowds that were following Jesus, we'll seek him if he's meeting our needs. As long as our appetites are being fed, we're good. As long as our bellies are full, we want Jesus. You see, because we want Jesus, because we want the comfort he gives, the joy he gives, the strength he gives, the healing he gives. We want to follow Jesus because we think he'll give us more resources, a better job, a promotion, a better house, a new car. We want Jesus because we want him to fix our relationships or bring us new ones. We want Jesus because of what he can do for us. But Jesus wants us to pursue him for what matters most. That's his presence, not his provision. So with Jesus' popularity declining at that time and people bailing out and leaving Jesus, all of a sudden he looks to the 12. He looks to the 12 disciples, his closest friends, and he asks this question in verse 67, are you also going to leave? Notice, Jesus doesn't apologize. He doesn't make excuses for the crowd leaving. He doesn't try to persuade the disciples. He doesn't say, hey guys, don't worry about it. I know a bunch is leaving, but I've got this. I'll explain everything. All he says is, are you going to leave too? And then in a revealing response, Peter, he looks to Jesus and he says, Lord, to whom would we go? You have the words that give eternal life. And Peter says, we believe, we believe and we know that you are the Holy One of God. And that's how I want to end today with you, wherever you may be watching, whether it's Saturday night, Sunday morning, or at some point in the week or two, three weeks from now, whether it's in your car, in your office, or at home, or on your phone, wherever it may be, Jesus is right here and he wants us to believe in him. He wants us to seek his presence more than his provision. And so there's three types of people that I wanna pray for as we close today. The first are those of you that have never followed Jesus and you have no desire to follow Jesus. Jesus would say to you, as he did to the crowd back then, the only thing God wants from you is to believe. Jesus isn't waiting for you to clean up your life. He's not waiting for you to be perfect. He is simply asking, will you believe in me? The second group that I wanna pray for is those of you who like the crowd that day where Jesus turned out to be something different than they expected. Maybe that's you. Maybe you began following Jesus and things got hard, things got difficult, and he didn't turn out to be the Lord you expected. You're not alone. The crowds felt the same way he did. The disciples felt that day, but I wonder today if you would respond as Peter and go, where would I go? Because if you're going to leave Jesus, as Peter understood, Lord, if we're not following you, who's it gonna be? And the last group, maybe there are those of you that you followed Jesus a long time, or you made that decision to follow him, but you're following him for his provision not for his presence. You're following him because what you believe he will give you, not for who he is. If you fall into one of those three categories today, I would love for you to pray with me, not just me praying for you. Romans 10, chapter nine, 
Paul says, if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and you believe in your heart that Jesus was raised from the dead, you will be saved. And in that moment, you will spend eternity in heaven. Would you pray with me? So Heavenly Father, I pray in this moment that your presence would be so real to those who are watching. I thank you that it's not limited by technology and that you are with us right now. I pray for those that have never put their faith or belief in you, that they would, as you, your word says, confess with their mouth that they are Lord and believe in their heart and they would know that they are saved and have eternity with you. I pray for those that began following you or maybe followed you a long time ago, but in their eyes, you didn't turn out to be as they expected. Would you increase their faith? Would you show them your love and your grace and understand that there's nowhere else they can run for security like you? And last, I pray for all of us that we would seek your presence, not your provision, that we would seek your face and not your hand. We love you and magnify you and declare you as Lord in the mighty name of Jesus, amen. God bless you.